So this morning we are continuing our series that Pastor Ron uh, started to introduce last week about the joy is in the journey. We're going to be looking at the Exodus story that uh, is recorded there in the book of Exodus uh, as a model for our spiritual life, our journey to spiritual wholeness. Uh, This morning we're going to go a little out of order though and we're going to jump right ahead to the story of Jericho and we're going to talk about facing Jericho. Starting next week, Pastor Ron will go back and fill in the gaps. If our journey starts in Egypt, how do we get to Jericho? We've got a lot of lessons to learn on that journey. But let me paint a picture in your mind this morning to kind of give you a little bit of context for our story uh, that, that uh, Brenda read for us this morning. The people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God delivers them in a miraculous way through the ten plagues. He parts the Red Sea so that they can walk across on dry land, escaping from the pursuing Egyptian army. They meet God at Sinai and enter into a covenant relationship with him there. Then they move to the border of the promised land and send in the spies. That's you know, about two years of, of history, we just condensed into about 20 seconds. But they sent in those spies into the promised land, 12 of them, one from each of the tribes. And they come back and they give a report that the land is amazing. But the people there are giants. And the cities are heavily fortified. And there's no way, 10 of them say, there's no way that we can do this. But two of those spies, Joshua and Caleb, say it's true. The people there are terrifying, and the cities are strong, but God can do this. But the people don't trust God, and as a result, they spend the next 40 years, an entire generation, walking around in the wilderness. Now it's time for the people of Israel to enter into the promised land. They've come again. They're now standing at the side of the Jordan River on the eastern side. Across the river is the land that God promised to give to Abraham. The land that God had told Moses to lead the people to. The land their parents had been afraid to enter. But now is the time. There's only one little problem. Except it wasn't so little. The land was occupied. And to get into the promised land, they had to go through Jericho. Now Jericho was a city, but it wasn't just any city. It was one of the most heavily fortified cities of its day. It had two walls, an inner wall and an outer wall. And that outer wall stood about 40 feet above the surrounding plain. And the inner wall was further up. You had to go up an embankment and stood even taller than that first wall. From the outside, from the banks of the Jordan, Jericho looked impenetrable. It looked insurmountable. It looked unassailable. And to get into the promised land, the place that God had for them, they had to deal with Jericho. They couldn't leave an enemy's stronghold in the land that God was giving them to possess and still live into the fullness of all that God wanted for them. 
Jericho. Imagine being Joshua, the new leader of the Israelites. He had been a close assistant to Moses. He had been one of his battle chiefs leading the army against uh, their enemies. One of my favorite stories in the book of Exodus comes in Exodus 17, where Moses is holding up the rod, but it's Joshua he tells to go choose some men and go out to face the Amalekites. Joshua was one of the spies sent to scout out the land, one of the two who said that God could, in fact, give them the land. But now his mentor is gone, and the mantle of leadership has passed to him. They had crossed over the Jordan, and now Jericho was his problem to deal with. So what does he do? Well, here's how I picture it in my mind. Joshua goes out for a walk in the evening. He needs to pray. He needs to clear his mind. He needs to kind of wrap his mind around what's going to happen. He wants to get a better look at Jericho. So he goes for a walk. The scripture says as he's going, he looks up, and there's a man standing there with his sword drawn. Now, I would be terrified if I encountered that out on a walk in the evening. But Joshua is a seasoned veteran of many battles. He walks right up to him, and Joshua wants to know, are you a friend or are you a foe? And I love the answer that he's given. Neither. I'm on God's side, which I think should give us pause sometimes to think about. God had been leading the Israelites. God had given the, the people the land. But when, God, when Joshua confronts the man who's there as the commander of the Lord's army, he said, I'm not on either side. Now, if I was Joshua... That's a little terrifying to me. Aren't you supposed to be on my side if you're from God? But he says, I'm not on either side. I'm on God's side. And I think sometimes we need to make sure that we're on God's side, not asking God to be on our side. Can you imagine? Or the conversation continues, and Joshua is told how exactly they're going to defeat the city of Jericho. They're going to walk around, they're going to blow some horns and they're going to shout. Can you imagine what Joshua must have thought? Remember, this is a warrior, a battle leader, and he's being told, walk around, blow some horns, and yell. It seems pretty crazy to me. Has God ever told anybody here something that seemed pretty crazy at the time, but ended up working out all right? I remember one time when we were living in Uganda. It was our first term over there. We lived about eight hours outside of the capital city uh, there in Uganda. And I had a pastor training scheduled for a certain day. And when I was preparing and getting the truck ready, it had developed a problem. It would start right up just fine. But as soon as you press the gas, nothing. The engine would cut out. So I'm in there, you know, in the engine up to my elbows, checking everything I know to check, adjusting everything I know how to adjust, which, for the record, isn't very much. There's a reason I went into ministry and not auto repair. However, after a long time of trying to sort things out, I went inside for a drink of water, and I just started to pray in my frustration. I was feeling so frustrated and so defeated, 
And I was debating, you know, do I need to cancel the training and try to communicate that to all the pastors who had already started traveling? Or do I need to travel by bus, which in Uganda was always a little risky? Um, And so in my desperation, I just prayed. I said, God, what do I do? And as clear as anything, I heard it in my heart. Check the air intake hose. I said, I already did that. And it came again, even more insistent. Check the air intake hose. I said, fine, I'll check it again. What could it hurt, right? You know? So I took it completely off, took it out, and started inspecting it. And don't you know, in the ribbed section that gave it a little flexibility so you could change the air filter, there were little cracks that had developed in each of the little ribs, just from age and dry rot and that kind of thing. And they were letting too much air into the engine. So I wrapped that thing up in so much duct tape that there wasn't a bit of air that was going to get through. Put it back in, and it worked fine. Got me all the way to Kampala, all the way to the mechanic. But once I I did it and and started to get the engine up again, and it worked, I just prayed. I said, God, I'm so sorry that it took me so long to turn to you. And when I did, I didn't trust your answer. That patch job got me to the capital, got me to the mechanic, and that was it. Anyway, back to Joshua and Jericho. Um, God tells Joshua that they're going to walk around the city once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. Blow the horns and shout and the wall would come down. And Joshua says, okay. He, he, he goes and starts talking to the people about it. He tells them, this is what we're going to do. And they do it. And the walls come down. Jericho falls. God wins the victory. I think there are some Jerichos that are facing us today as a church. There are some big issues that need to be dealt with if we're going to live into the land that God has for us. I'm going to give you a couple of them this morning, but I'm sure that if you took a few minutes to think about it, you could come up with some others. Things that seem too big for us. Problems that seem bigger than we know how to deal with. Problems like Jericho. So here's the first thing that I see as a huge issue for us. We live in a culture of relativism. You say, oh man, where are we going with this? You're going to lose me in the weeds. Hang with me. The culture around us believes that everything, even truth, is relative. That there are no absolute truths that are true at all times and all places for all people. So you hear people today talking about my truth or my reality because the culture believes that we can define those things just relative to us. A lot of that's crept into the church, unfortunately, and and there's even been some uncertainty in our denomination about what kind of church we're going to be. Are we going to let Scripture be our rule of faith and practice, our plumb line, as Pastor Ron said last week, that, that we measure ourselves and our culture against? 
Or are we going to say that every culture can reinterpret scripture for itself? Do we believe that the Bible is still relevant for us today? Do we believe the Bible is God's truth for us? Do we believe the Bible is God's unchanging words? Unchanging word. These are answers that we're going to have to answer as a general church, a denomination, as a local church here in Mullica Hill. And even as individuals, we're going to have to answer those questions. And if we're going to live in the land that God has for us, we can't let that stronghold of relativism stand. That Jericho has to fall. Because if we don't have Scripture as our foundation, we've got nothing to build on. So that's number one. And number two kind of flows out of it. In a culture of relativism, you end up with a strong divide between the sacred and the secular, the religious things and the everyday things. Your faith, your religion, if you have one in our culture, becomes just one small part of your life. It's what you practice on Sunday morning and maybe privately in your devotion times. But if there are no absolutes, then you can believe anything you want to believe. And no one really has the right to tell you you're wrong. Church becomes just another one of a number of ways that we can spend our time. So we go to church when there are no scheduling conflicts. We go to church when it seems like the most enjoyable option for us. But I don't believe our faith is just one option among many. We're called to live our entire lives for the glory of God, not just our Sunday mornings. And if we're going to be the church that God is calling us to be, a church that's focused on the good news that God loves us and sent his son to die so that we could have life and be transformed, then that Jericho has to fall. These are some of the Jerichos that I see facing our church. But Jerichos don't just exist for the church, and they don't just exist out there in the culture. If we're honest, we also have Jerichos in our personal lives. Things that look too big for us. Things that look too hard for us. Strongholds we look at and say, there's no way I can defeat that. You know the kind of thing I'm talking about. You face them in your lives. For some of us, it may look like broken marriages or addictions or job situations or health scares, depression, anxiety, a sin we just can't seem to get away from. The thing they all have in common is we have no idea how to be victorious in the midst of those situations. They keep us from living into the fullness of what God has for us. And we need God to do something about them. And he can. He can. So now we know that there are these Jerichos out there that need to be faced, these problems that we need God to deal with. Problems where only God can bring a victory. What do we do? What do we do? If only God can bring down Jericho, 
Are we supposed to just sit back and wait? Sit back and, and, and wait for him to do something about them? I think this story from Joshua would tell us no. And I think there are two things that we can do to partner with God to bring down those Jerichos in our lives. You know, in the fall, in the story of the fall of Jericho, it really sounds like it was the horns and the shouting that brought down the walls of Jericho, doesn't it? When you hear the story, the people shout, the horns blow, and the walls come down. It's tempting to think that that's what did it. That that's what God used. But I don't think that's quite right. While that may have been what happened immediately before the walls came down, I think that's only half of the story. Because I believe what brought down the walls of Jericho wasn't the shouting and the horns at the end of the seventh day. I think it was every step they took on days one through seven. It was their faithfulness to do what God had told them to do. Imagine how those Israelites must have felt by day four or five. They've been walking around the the city each day. Four days, five days, nothing happened. Nothing changed. They couldn't see any difference. They just marched and marched. I'm sure the first day the Jericho, or the Jerichoites, the people who lived in Jericho, um, looked at them and said, oh no, what's going to happen? Because earlier in Jericho, Rahab said, all the people are afraid because we've heard the stories of what your God has done for you, how he brought you through the Red Sea, how he defeated the kings on the east side of the Jordan The people of Jericho were terrified. And the first day, they walk around the city and nothing happens. They probably thought that was a little curious. The second day, they walk around the city and nothing happens. The third day, they walk around the city and nothing happens. I'm guessing by then, the Israelites were feeling a little silly. And the, Jericho, the people of Jericho were maybe starting to feel a little proud. Look at them down there. They're just walking around the city. There's no way walking around the city is going to do anything. Our walls are too strong. Our fortifications are too powerful. Maybe they're looking for some weakness to exploit, but they're not going to find one. So they go. Day four. Nothing. Day five, nothing. Day six, nothing. Day seven, they get up at dawn to start walking. They start going around. One time around, nothing happens. Twice around, nothing happens. Three times, four times, five times, nothing's happening. Six times, nothing happens. The seventh time happens, they shout, And they blow those horns, and the walls crumble. They went out each day, step by step, and they honored God with their faithful obedience. Church, we need to be faithful, step by step, day by day, 
even when it seems like nothing is happening with those Jerichos in our lives, even when we get tired, even when we feel a little silly, we need to be faithful to walk with God, listening to whatever he tells us to do, no matter how crazy it might sound, even if it means walking around Jericho 13 times. We need to be faithful to walk with God step by step. The other thing that stands out to me, and I think we can learn from this story, is it tells us that Joshua and the priests and the entire army walked around Jericho each day. Now, it seems to me Joshua and the priests, they represented the people of Israel. And if God was going to do something miraculous, like bring down a fortified city just because people were walking, it probably could have been just Joshua and the priests as the representatives, right? That makes sense to me, but it's not what God said. God had Joshua, the leader, and the priests who represented them to God, and all the warriors march around Jericho each day. They didn't take turns. They didn't tag out. They walked each day. It wasn't for Joshua or the priests or anybody to do alone. God called all the warriors to walk together. I believe that we not only need to be faithful step by step, but we need to stand together and fight. We need to contend for our faith, for the truth, for the victory that God is leading us to, for the promised land that he's called us to. So Trinity, the question is, are we going to be a church of consumers or a church of contenders? Are we going to get our skin in the game or are we going to sit in the stands? Will we look to our staff and church leaders to move the church forward or are we going to commit to contend together for the future of our church? Do we want a church we can attend on Sunday morning and then leave, good, leave feeling good about ourselves? Or a church in which we are investing ourselves in the mission, giving ourselves away for the sake of others? I don't know if you noticed it today, but there's a handout in your bulletin asking for people who want to touch the future to volunteer with our Trinity kids. Why is that in there? Why is it in there? It's because Kim can't run the kind of children's ministry she envisions for Trinity with the number of volunteers that she has. And she hasn't said this, but I can read between the lines. She's tired of people saying no when she asks them to volunteer. Church, will we contend for the future by investing ourselves in our children and in our church? Or are we just gonna show up for the service that we prefer and then go home, hoping someone else will step up and do it? We have that opportunity in a few weeks that I mentioned to learn from Alan and Beth Coppage about what it looks like to get serious about discipleship. Are we going to make it a priority to get here 
so that we can learn how to pour our lives into the life of another, to walk with one another in accountability? Or will we skip it? Because we just don't have enough time in our weekend for that, to be at church that much. Tama said they might have to shut down the bell choir because there's just not enough people to ring the bells. We said in the fall that it was time for us to take a step forward in 2020. Trinity, it's time for us to faithfully contend for our church. It's time for us to walk around Jericho until God brings the walls down in our church, in our families, in our hearts. It's time to step into the promised land and let God bring victory over the strongholds in our lives and in our churches. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we confess that sometimes it's easier just to focus on our own relationship with you. Sometimes it's easier to focus just on me and Jesus. But that's not the kind of faith we're called to. That's not the kind of church we're called to be. You laid aside your very self to come and give your life as a sacrifice. That wasn't just for us. That was, that was a model for us. That was uh, you showing us who you are and calling us to be a part of what you want to do. So God, we ask that you would give us faith to keep walking around the Jerichos in our lives, the Jerichos in our church. God, we want to be part of a church that's on fire. We want to be part of a church that's reaching out into our communities and, and bringing the good news to people who haven't heard it yet. Bringing the good news to people whose lives need to be transformed, to people who want their lives to be transformed. God, we live in the midst of a hurting and broken world. It's not enough to sit in our pews on Sunday morning. You've called us to be your hands and your feet. You've called us to pour our lives out for the sake of others. So God, we ask that you would help us to do it. Put a hunger in our hearts to know you more, to be shaped by you more. So that when the, when the world looks at us, they don't just see a congregation of people gathering together to worship on Sunday morning. They see a God who loves them and is reaching out to them. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.